You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Melina. We're part of Your Future is Our Business, which is a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students ages 10 to 18 explore careers by connecting them to adults through programs such as college and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. You're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview and highlight the career journeys of inspirational people in Santa Cruz County. If you've ever thought, hmm, how do they get that job, or what is that job really like, then keep on listening. We would like to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Futures Our Business. Please note that information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. Today we're joined by our guest, Aki Williams, and she is the Chief Operations Officer and co-owner of DFibVis. Welcome, Aki. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And can you tell us, what is DFibVis? DFibVis is an American Heart Association training center. We have an EMT program where we train future EMTs, and we teach resuscitative medicine and continuing education courses to healthcare providers. So we, treat, we teach doctors, nurses, paramedics, etc., other professionals in the healthcare industry, and aspiring healthcare professionals with uh, nursing boot camps and EMT training, and soon paramedic program. Very wow. cool. We did our time in the life-saving business, my husband slash business partner, Alex Williams, and I. And you founded DeepFibVis? We did. Uh, ten years, our ten-year anniversary of having our first storefront out on Front Street. We originally started in our garage, so we've been cool. in business for about ten years, mm-hmm. but we'll be celebrating on the 29th of October of this year will be our official 10-year anniversary with a Santa Cruz business license, fancy, official-like. <laughs> oh, congrats on 10 years. Thank you. What is a chief operations officer? Really, chief operations officer manages the overall picture, day-to-day operations of an organization, making sure that staff has what they need, nothing is in their way to be able to provide their best work for the day. It's also making sure that the client relations and the client experience, student experience at DFib is the best it can possibly be, and making sure that both of those sides, the client-facing and the employee-facing, are all working in a way that's going to keep the organization moving in a forward direction. Mm-hmm. And can you give us an example of what a day of yours looks like? Well, a day of mine would start probably about 4.45 in the morning. Wow. I exercise a I really feel it's super important to have that exercise. It's like hygiene. It's Mm -hmm. brushing your teeth, and it really keeps that focus going. It gives me almost a meditation time where I can think about what's going to go on in my day. I come out of the, the gym or off my bike and write down my top five goals for the day, shower, and then I hit the office or hit work before everyone else gets there. I get a chance to get a lay of the land. So that starts around uh, 7.30 or 8, and my day will go probably until about 7.45 at night, um, 8 o'clock before I'm winding it down and um, starting to roll back and and just be a person again as opposed to the The COO, the the, uh, the DJ, DJ on the ones and twos, making sure that everything's (laughs) spinning right as far as our business goes and uh, our clients and employees. And what would you say your major like tasks and responsibility throughout the day? Really that rounding on our employees, rounding uh, with our students, returning phone calls, working on promotion, marketing, 
we're a small business. We have 17 employees working all the time. We have approximately nine people working full-time. And on top of that, we have a number of guest instructors Mm -hmm. and specialty classes coming in. We're an anchor site for the Air and Surface Transport Nurses Association. So they come in and teach transport professional advanced trauma courses. And we're working on an ATLS for trauma surgeon certification course as well. So really mine is generating blue sky pictures for what we're going to be doing in the future, what we'll be offering to the community. We do teach courses to the general public as well, disaster preparedness, CPR first aid, what the needs are for our community as far as medical professionals, aspiring students, and general public courses, and then working with administrative staff and our website team, and also with the these instructors that will be teaching these courses specifically, making sure that they maintain their certifications, everything's up to date, and everyone has had their in-services, so they're giving the most up-to-date, topical, science, evidence-based science Mm. classes that we can Mm. provide. And how did you Mm. get into this industry? So I started very young in this industry. I was actually working as a nursing assistant at the age of 15 in a nursing home. I wanted to, to do that. I wanted to go into medicine. Originally, I planned on going into medicine to become a physician. And at the time, I didn't really have a lot of resources financially, and I didn't have the support or really anyone that was in my, uh, as far as adults in my life that had any medical experience. So with that, I was seeking out opportunities to get in there in the healthcare environment. I saw a ad at my high school for the regional occupation program. So I attended the regional occupation program for the certified nursing assistant course. And I was a little sneaky. You had to be 16 years old to graduate from the program. And I went in at 15, and when they said, is anyone not 16, raise your hand, I just (laughs) pretended like I didn't hear them. The graduation date for the program was actually on my 16th birthday, so I just slid under the radar the whole time. And the first opportunity I had as a job shadowing and job experience was at a nursing home during this training Mm -hmm. where they offered me a job. So I went with my work permit to the high school, and they said, we've never had anybody do this before. And I said, let me be the first. So just a campaign to get access to people. It's really funny because the time I was trying to decide, well, I need to make money because I want to go to medical school. What's going to pay best? And it was two different jobs. There was Wayne's Beauty College at the time, (laughs) which was also right by Santa Cruz High that had the regional occupation program. And I went in there and you had to be 18. Oh, So you could... To me, I thought, I've always thought that was kind of funny. You can take care of human beings Um. (laughs) at the age of 15. You're considered mature enough to take care of people that are sick or having end of life care, which is such an intimate experience, Mm -hmm. or you can cut, dye hair, but you have to be 18. You're not mature enough to do that, but you can take care of, you know, sick Mm -hmm. and dying people. And it always kind of tickled me. Of course, being a cosmetologist is very intimate as well, Mm -hmm. and it requires a lot of personal responsibility, and I'm certainly not knocking it. I just thought, well, that's weird. It did help me come to the decision that I would be going to the CNA program for ROP as opposed to waiting. I was very anxious to get rolling. Mm -hmm. So I did start as a nursing assistant. I went on to use the ROP program again to get my EMT, 
And then, um, so I was an emergency medical technician, and then I got a job as a patient care tech after that. So I was working in the hospital, a local hospital that Mm -hmm. I was working at, was very supportive in cross-training a number of the patient care technicians. So I got experience working, doing EKGs, working as an EKG tech, working as a unit secretary in the hospital, and also um, working as a phlebotomist in the lab, drawing blood. So to me, it really opened up all of these doors in the hospital and opened up a lot of opportunities to find mentors to really kind of guide me throughout my career. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What To Be at KSQD 90.7 FM. I'm Alina, and I'm joined by other host, Nick, and we're speaking with Aki Williams, who is the Chief Operations Officer and co-owner of DFibVis. What are some of the skills and qualities that you would say are most important for the things that you wanted to do, like the certain jobs that you've had and some things you've picked up? I'd say tenacity is really important. There's a lot of people who will tell you you can't or you need to wait or what's your hurry. And as a kid, I think that was probably the most frustrating thing I would hear. Mm-hmm. I was I really felt I was on this fast track towards a career. I knew what I wanted to do. And many times a lot of my friends' parents would say, well, what's your hurry? Why don't you just be a kid right now? Why are you so focused on getting a career? And when you know what you want to do yeah. for the rest of your mm-hmm. life, you want the rest yeah, of your sorry. life to start right away. Yeah. And so I would tell them that and they'd say, you just need to take time to be a kid and go to a four-year college <laughs> and just kick around and find out what you want. And I said, I don't need to do that. Yeah. So you already I, know. I really felt like that did, it was a kind of a demotivator if, if you're not tenacious and you don't keep your eyes on what you want to do. From where I was working in the hospital as a patient care tech, I went on to become a registered nurse. And after that, I started working in intensive care units and cardiac catheterization labs, working on patients who'd had heart attacks, putting in pacemakers with cardiologists, and then moving on to work in a pediatric ICU, a neonatal ICU, and neurosurgical ICU, and then kind of culminating with my career working as an advanced practice flight nurse, as an air medical flight nurse. So working on trauma patients in ICU. If I had fell into that mindset of I need to wait for someone to tap me on the shoulder and give me permission Mm. to seek out opportunities, I would have been waiting for someone to knock on my door and say, okay, it's you're allowed to go want this now because X amount of time has passed. Mm -hmm. So I'd say tenacity is probably the most important to go back to your question. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I went off on a bit of a tangent there. (laughs) The other thing I would say is that in addition to the tenacity, you have to have that internal humility where you're really ready to have your butt handed to you sometimes and really go into that uncomfortable place. We're always afraid of failing and That's why practice is so important. Practice where you're doing that thing that you just can't nail it, whether it's trying to take a blood pressure or trying to start IVs or whatever it might be, to be willing to say, I'm not good at this and I want to be better Mm -hmm. and really leave yourself open to have that kind of, not necessarily criticism or if it is constructive criticism, if you will, Mm -hmm. where people tell you, If you want to get better at this, you need to do A, B, and C. Nobody really learns anything from great job. It's great to hear it. It makes you feel good on the way home. And by no means do I think, you know, people should only hear the negative. But really leaving yourself open to have that feedback, even if you don't agree, you can always say, thanks for the feedback, Mm -hmm. and then mull it over. Anytime I've said that with a kind of a lump in my throat on the way home, 
by the time I hit my front door, I was convinced I need to take on this new skill or I need to listen to that feedback. It it only hurts if it's true, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Right. And uh, what have been some of your favorite areas of nursing? The areas of nursing that I found the most enjoyment out of, I would say, are the ones that terrified me the most. When I was in school and I had to take care of a pediatric patient or a patient with neuro, which neurologic issues seem to be this mystery wrapped in an enigma, tucked into a box of tsunamis, (laughs) and it always seemed so intimidating and uh, uh, neurologists were so intelligent, but not great communicators. So it always felt like a big mystery to me. And when I was first out of school, and I was still kind of in that student mode and feeling like everything is new, that's when I had the opportunity to, to jump in to neurosurgical ICU. So I said, yes, please. And was half even though you you didn't feel like a hundred percent ready for it you went and did it anyways right i did i wanted to go to that uncomfortable place Mm -hmm. the uncomfortable place whenever i'm in that that spot personally between i i want to and and need to Mm -hmm. that that place where do you want to quit or do you need to quit that Mm -hmm. that uncomfortable area is where i've done the most personal and professional growth Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Additionally, because I was brand new as a nurse and brand new in an ICU, the opportunity to go somewhere else, everyone knew I was brand new and everyone knew I was ready for more information. So I had yeah. a lot more guardian angels, if you mm-hmm. will, as colleagues and a lot more mentors and people that were willing to watch me and make sure yeah. I didn't do anything stupid. And yeah. a lot of people I could ask stupid questions to. So it really made for a much better learning experience as opposed mm-hmm. to going in. And, and someone like assuming that you have the experience and then you don't learn anything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And plus, Good. you know, those kind of things that we put on a shelf, whether it's as soon as I get X amount of experience or I just need to work on this kind of unit that I have no interest in whatsoever to get my experience, then I'll go to the area I want. It doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the patients. It doesn't serve the, the professional. It doesn't serve the colleagues because you're not doing that thing you really are, you know, get out of bed for every day. Mm-hmm. And the longer you keep something on a shelf, you know, what happens to things on a shelf? They get dusty, dusty. right? So I don't like to put those things on the shelf that scare me. I want to turn them into merit badges as quickly as I can, rip off the Band-Aid and go. Awesome. And if you were to hire someone to replace you, what would you look for in a candidate? I would look for someone who's tenacious. I would look for someone... Who, who thinks instead of no, who thinks next? How else can I get there? Can I go over them, around them, under them, through them? How will I get this goal achieved? And I'm looking for someone who would be compass-oriented as opposed to map-oriented. So if I were to say, for instance, I want you to get to Los Gatos, instead of saying, here's a map to Los Gatos, I'd say there's Los Gatos and point off to it and you would use a compass and you would find a way to get there. It might be better than what's on the map. I'm looking Mm. for someone to blaze a trail and tell me why that's a better idea and bring new information and pull me out of my comfort zone and make me look at things through different eyes. Mm. 
those are the kind of people that I want replacing me and making my company better. And that those were the kind of nurses that I would train in the field when I was working in the ICU or the emergency department. People that were looking at new things and challenged me, asked me questions that made me think and made me go back to my reference books or online and and do that research. Make me better while I teach you. Because at the end, it's all about me, right? (laughs) (laughs) So what are some of the things that have kept you going? So on a day-to-day now, the things that keep me going are my family and my commitment to the community, which sounds like I'm in a beauty pageant or something. I don't mean it in nothing wrong with beauty pageants, but in my mind, I think I have a commitment to the community of things that I want to provide. I want to provide the best EMS education in the county and the surrounding counties. I want to create a paramedic program. I want the young nurses and the third and fourth semester nurses that come to us and want that extra level of training. I want everybody to leave DFib with a sense of confidence and to have learned one new thing that they didn't think they were going to learn. Mm-hmm. Resuscitation can be such a intimidating, angry gauntlet of emotions. And I really want people to walk into classes about resuscitation or into the next resuscitation that they have where mm-hmm. someone is actively dying or maybe they have died and they're working on that team to resuscitate people. I want them to have been in that uncomfortable space where they have that self-doubt and they have those moments where they pause and don't trust their muscle memory to do the things that they do know how to do. I want them to have those experiences at DFib so when they go to the real deal, they've been through this. It's not their first rodeo. Mm -hmm. They have that confidence and they leave feeling like they contributed because they did. Mm. When we're resuscitating people, they're already dead. That's why mm. we resuscitate them. You can't hurt someone who's dead. You can only make it better. Mm. And really, there's nowhere to go but up. Mm. And I want people to feel empowered when they leave DFib. The other motivation, and I'd say the thing that really makes me go, is, is my family. My husband, my daughter has grown and is doing her thing in in, um, her career, which is great. And my son is going into the Navy, but I want to give them that drive. I want them to be proud. And so at the end of the day, I always want to go to bed proud of Mm -hmm. what I contributed to our company, to our friends, family, Mm -hmm. and to our community. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What To Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Alina, and I'm joined by other host, Nick. We're speaking with Aki Williams and learning about her career journey to becoming the Chief Operations Officer and co-owner of DFib This. What's the difference between an EMT and a paramedic? That's a great question, and it's something that confounds the general public for the most part to the detriment of both of those specialties. Mm-hmm. So an emergency medical technician is the entry level for EMS. Actually, the entry level would be emergency medical responder, but they Mm. don't ride on ambulances. I can tell you that a paramedic and an EMT, neither one of them is a quote-unquote ambulance driver. (laughs) So I'm going to put that out there for the general public. That is incredibly derogatory. It's the equivalent of calling a nurse a waitress or a, a flight attendant, a stewardess or handmaid, or it's very derogatory wow. in okay. the community. So when people refer to paramedics and emergency medical technicians as ambulance drivers, I die a little inside when I hear it. And mm. go 
to the point of being rather obnoxious when I try to very diplomatically re-educate people yeah. in the line at the grocery store or in the mall when I hear someone say it. To me, it's it's a it's a passion issue. So the difference between EMT and paramedic would be the same as a nursing assistant and an, a registered nurse. So an EMT resuscitates people. They do basic life support skills, which is really the most important thing. We always say an excellent paramedic is a good EMT. Hmm. You have to have a good paramedic is an excellent EMT. You hmm. want to have those basic skills. Everyone should have them. Hmm. Paramedics do advanced life support. So they hmm. start IVs. They do advanced airway management. They administer medications and they read EKG rhythms. Mm. So those would be the big things that I think the general public would understand. Mm. EMTs do basic life support. So they do resuscitation, CPR, of course. They do some things like an EpiPen. They'll administer Mm. that or glucose if someone is diabetic and they'll check finger sticks, Mm. blood sugars. They're all trained in stopping the bleed, things like that. Mm. Hemorrhage control, broken bones. But as far as the advanced skills that goes to paramedicine, Mm -hmm. they both have the initial EMT, but a paramedic is an EMT-P. So emergency Mm -hmm. medical technician-P is for the paramedic. Most ambulances run a paramedic and EMT in our county now. It used to be two paramedics and a BLS ambulance where they're transporting someone maybe from a dialysis center back Mm -hmm. to a care facility or... Mm -hmm from uh, somewhere like Sunshine Villa to go have dialysis or to a wound care center, mm-hmm. that would be run by two EMTs, and that's a BLS transport unit. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first time resuscitating someone? I do. I do. A lot of resuscitations are super memorable for me, but the very first resuscitation, I just remember this person saying that they didn't feel good and then watching their face go blank. Oh. And I was by myself, and so I was in the hospital area, and I put on the, the emergency light and started doing CPR on this person, and we actually did resuscitate them. And for the rest of the day, I don't know if my feet touched the ground. It was the most amazing adrenaline rush I've ever had, and I talked really loud, like I had just come out of a rock concert when I left. Super, Everything I did was super hyper-animated yeah. and loud. But at that moment, when I was doing the CPR, everything slowed down. It was mm-hmm. kind of like being in the Matrix where, yeah. wow. you know, you just look around, you're like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I was born to do this. Mm-hmm. There's certain moments in life where you have like everything falls together and you think there's a reason I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely supposed to be doing this. Mm-hmm. This is my thing. Do you have any interesting stories that you wanted to share with us? There's a myriad of stories that come along with a career in EMS and nursing. Um, At a hospital in South County, I had a patient that I had taken care of in the emergency department that was walking his dog and separated his shoulder. Oh, wow. And when he came in, we treated him for a separated shoulder. He had no history, medications, or allergies. He had never seen a doctor. He was 52 years old and super fit guy. We told him, hey, you know, you're at that age where you need to have a colonoscopy. You should get a physical. (laughs) You should have those other things. And so I was working another day when I wasn't in the emergency department in the GI lab where they were doing colonoscopies. And he happened to be my patient. And we found a precancerous area in his colon. They were able to remove it. He did really well. 
And he came in later on and said, you saved my life yeah. twice in one day. And I said, you know, the separated shoulder. I really, he said, you saved my dog's life because you said, don't be mad at the dog. He was <laughs> running his dog on the beach and the leash came out and tripped him. So he landed oh. on his shoulder. I said, I think I saved your dog's life the first time. And the yeah. second time I just told you to get a scope, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it worked. So colonoscopy mm-hmm. save lives just like resuscitation does. <laughs> have another question absolutely what is the hardest part of your job there's a couple things one of those things is compassion burnout I see Mm -hmm. it with a lot of my colleagues and I know I had suffered from it before where you have people that are constantly needing and there's a lot of psychosocial stuff that gets intertwined and chemical dependency and people who don't have the resources they need so they have to kind of maneuver and when you're in the emergency department you're really the receptacle for all of the woes of our community, whether it be drug abuse or mental illness or people that just aren't getting what they need. And so they're, they hit the door angry and you just feel that all the time. And to be able to step back and know it's not about you and it's not personal, they're just working through what they need to work through Mm -hmm. is something that kind of will keep you going. Mm -hmm. I'd say the other part is because we're in such a world of Yelp and a world of, you know, give me what I want mm-hmm. as opposed to what I need, it's really can be difficult when you're trying to give somebody information that is science-based and it doesn't fit their paradigm or their preconceived notions mm-hmm. and it turns into a customer service issue. Mm-hmm. That can also happen with families. So you'll have patients in the intensive care unit that have orders where they don't want to be resuscitated and they're very old and very broken and very ill and they'll never come off of machinery but the family will sometimes hold that up because of their own dynamics feeling like that in the ICU where I felt I would turn my patients and take care of them and I always assumed they could hear me and I would say I I hope you know I'm I'm doing this because I have to, I, I'm sorry that you're in this position. Mm-hmm. That was always very hard for me because we weren't following what the patient wanted. We yeah. were following what their family wanted. Yeah. And that always felt like a, a paradox to being patient-centered. Yeah. What is the most rewarding part of your job? Just feeling like you've made a difference. And it's not like the big things. It's the little wins. Before I go to bed every night, I think of like three wins that I've had for the day. Mm. And those little wins really float you on days when you just feel like, I don't know if you guys have seen the Little Mermaid movie years Mm -hmm. ago, all those little mermaids that lost the bet with Ursula, the sea witch, then turned in like those little seaweed things. They look so forlorn and they kind of just swayed back and forth and they looked so broken. There's days where you feel like that little seaweed thing. Mm The things that kept me going were having those moments where I would get a call when I was working in the emergency department and they'd call me into another unit and say, my grandmother is asking for Aki to come or the blue haired nurse and start her IV. She's really hard stick. She's getting some blood transfusion and she's been poked a thousand times and going in there and getting that and having the family have that look of elation Mm -hmm. and relief on their face. To me, that's, that's 20 wins, Mm -hmm. right? Or those moments where you have the guy who comes in and separates his shoulder and you mm. say, go get a colonoscopy, dude, at least check under the hood. And he goes in and gets it done and comes back with a something that he dodged a bullet. Mm-hmm. Those are all wins. And, and the moments where you can make the shot hurt less 
or the moments where you are able to help someone, whether it's a patient or a colleague, because we have to really take care of each other. Those are the things that fuel my tank throughout the day. And the last question we have for you, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Well, we do have something that I'm really proud of. The Regional Occupation Program, which is now Career Technical Education, really helped me as a kid with limited resources. And by resources, let's just be real, limited money. I had no dough. My parents had no dough. It was essentially an emancipated minor kind of trying to make my own way. I received so much love and support from the County Office of Education because of regional occupation that I wanted to get back. So DFIB This is now gonna be offering a scholarship through Your Future is Our Business for an EMT training. And it's one of those things where as a kid, you always think like, how can I repay you? Mm-hmm. And the ability to be able to do this, it makes me feel like I'm gonna find that young Aki out there or mm-hmm. a kid mm-hmm. who wants to do what I did. And this is their first step. And yeah. whenever people tell me one day, I say, make this day one of one day. So I wanna help find that person who's looking for their day one. So that's something that we're pretty excited about. So I'm hoping we find that person who is gonna be a fit and it's gonna help change their life the way mm-hmm. the education in Santa Cruz did for me. Thank you, Aki, for being our guest today. Thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute to, to be a part of this. Thank you. And thank you to all of our KSQD listeners for tuning in to today's career story with your host, Nick and Melina, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Aki Williams, who is the Chief Operations Officer and co-owner of DFib This. If you have any questions or like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattobe at ksqd.org. If you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays or stream online at ksqd.org. Thank you for listening.